Good morning all. Um, today's Bible passage is from Isaiah uh, chapter 40 verses 10 to 31. I'll just give you a little while to grab your Bibles and, uh, and find this. Interestingly, Isaiah is about halfway through, literally halfway through the Bible, page-wise, and about halfway through the Old Testament as well. So we'll, um, we'll read from there. Isaiah 40, uh, verses 10 to 31. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will gather, carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge? and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him, an idol? A craftsman, craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of <clears throat> of his might and because he is strong in power not one is missing why do you say O Jacob and speak O Israel my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not grow not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable he gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ralph. What a wonderful passage that is. Uh, Ralph was actually just sharing with me in person. Sorry to embarrass you here, buddy, but he was just saying, you know, whenever you think you've got God figured out, whenever you think you've domesticated God, you just read a passage like that, and it just sets your mind aright, as it were. It, it corrects your thinking. Well, that's really been the prayer of this series, that we wouldn't domesticate God. We wouldn't try to create God in our own image. As we've looked at some of God's attributes, I hope they've been giving you a, a greater picture, as Sky was saying earlier, a greater picture of our God, of how great he is, that God is independent or self, self-existent, that God is unchanging, um, that God is eternal. And what we're going to think about today is that God is incomprehensible. Um, I said last week, you know, that we've only scratched the surface. This has only been the tip of the iceberg. And it's true, I thought it'd be appropriate to end that way today, that God is incomprehensible. That as much as we study God, as much as we think about Him, um, we can never know God fully, but we can know Him truly. So we can never fully know God in an exhaustive, complete, entire, perfect way, because God is infinite, and we are finite, but we can know God truly. And I hope that is, I thought it'd be an appropriate way to actually end this series. One thing, though, that uh, I haven't said yet, and I think it's important to say, is when we think about some of God's attributes, right, that God is independent, unchanging, eternal, incomprehensive, you know, and there's other ones we didn't cover. Um, I, as humans, and I know I do this, sometimes we kind of um, put them into categories, right? Um, that there's almost like pieces of God, as it were, um, or we latch on to something that we, I like the fact that God is unchanging. And then we sort of just, it's almost like God is made up of different parts, right? That part of him is unchanging and part of him is independent and part of him is eternal, so on and so forth. But we have to see this holistically in a simple sort of way that God is not made up of parts, that God is infinitely unchanging, infinitely holy, infinitely perfect, infinitely loving. I don't know if that makes sense, that it's like a web that's all connected, that God is all of those things to the max, as it were. There's never a place where you could sort of, uh, if, you've, if you watch, I was sharing this with my children last night, if you watch strange sci-fi movies, um, sometimes there's, you can get outside of space and then you get into nothingness right? Uh, they left, they left the solar system, and now there's nothing beyond the solar system, as it were. There's never a place where we can actually get outside of who God is, or go beyond his control, or his 
uh, infinite power, if that makes any sense. When you think about infinity, it just, I was sharing this with Josiah, my son, he's been counting up numbers, and he said, Dad, you could just keep counting forever. I said, yeah, it's true. And imagine like a line, son, and I said, you know, God is holy, infinite, all the way, there's no end to his holiness. And he's just kind of like, okay, Dad. I said, now finish your soup. Okay, Dad, yeah. I said, imagine God's love. There's no ending of God's love. And, you know, it just, it's infinite, right? And, and he probably thinks to infinity and beyond, right? Toy Story. But, but really, um, there is no end of this. So, so I hope that through this series, I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that it's given you a picture of God. I hope that your heart is singing and worshiping. That, that's been the prayer. Um, you know, as we've been in lockdown, um, one thing has been uh, universal for probably most people is uh, there's been more streaming going on, right? Uh, even you know, dumb movies that you probably wouldn't have watched on Netflix, you'll like at least watch a quarter of it. And sometimes movies will start with a dramatic scene. Have you noticed that? They leave out all of these details. Uh, people are, the, the main character, or at least you think he's the main character, he's gasping for air, he's, he's been shot up, Chris Hemsworth's new, new movie is like this. It, it begins this way, where he's, you know, he's gasping for air, and he's, and you're trying, what's going on, right? Um, or maybe it's a couple, and the movie starts off, and there's there's dramatic music playing, and they're both crying, and, you know, the man is about to get on an airplane, and the woman grabs, grabs him and says, you don't have to go, do you? And you think, what's going on there? And with both an action movie or a romance, usually it fades to black and it goes 48 hours earlier, right? And now you know that the rest of the movie is going to fill out all those details, how they got to that climax, how they got to that place where, you know, Chris Hemsworth is all shot up and gasping for air, or how the couple is saying, you know, we don't have to really end this, do we? I want to give you a biblical account of that. I want you to picture for just a moment, I want you to imagine an older man and imagine that he is trembling with fear. He's actually curled up in a fetal position behind a rock. His knees are shaking. His palms are sweaty. His throat is dry. He's wondering if he will live another day because of what he's about to see and witness. Just as he's pondering these things, the ground begins to shake. And he's wondering if his heart is pounding as hard as the ground is shaking. And he feels completely unnerved for what he's about to see. And you, you can, in the corner of the screen, you see this light coming in and it's blinding. And here's this man crawled up in a fetal position. And just then the screen goes black. And it says 48 hours earlier. The man that we come to realize in this next scene, when it's going to now give the backstory, is Moses. Moses is the man that's curled up, that he's frightened. But why? How, how did Moses get into this predicament? 
I mean, if there was anyone who had God's ear, it was this guy, right? If there was anyone who could sit within God's inner counsel and petition the Lord on behalf of his people, it was this dude. I mean, Moses was God's chosen leader, mediator for the people. The relationship he had with the Lord was more personal and more intimate than anyone else in Israel, hands down. If anyone knows the Lord, it was him. So why is he so afraid? Why did we get that picture to start off our movie that way? It was because of the audacious request he made. One day he felt so bold as to ask the Lord this. In Exodus 33, he said, Please show me your glory. Wow. Seriously? How audacious can you be? Moses, don't you know who you're talking to? Well, the response that Moses received in Exodus 33 was quite remarkable. On the one hand, it is impossible to see the glory of God and live. Dead men tell no tales, right? Exodus 30 says this. He said, God says, 33, he says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live no one can see the very essence of god he is so glorious and so infinite that we would be consumed if we tried to look at him it's like the sun in our solar system if you look at the sun straight on your eyes will burn and your sight will be lost or if you were crazy enough to get in a rocket ship and attempted to fly to the sun, like men landed on the moon. You know, he said, I'm going to go try to land on the sun, or I'm just going to get as close to I can. Well, if you would be disintegrated before you got anywhere near, you would burn up before you got anywhere near the sun. In a similar way, no one can see the very essence of God and live. So on the one hand, it's impossible. Moses cannot do this, but on the other hand, God makes an exception. He will allow Moses just a sneak peek of his backside, as it were. He, he'll tuck Moses into the cleft of a rock and pass by him. That's where we left, leave off now with our movie. Now we've come to this place where Moses is in the fetal position. He's, he's scared. He's crying. He's, he's freaking out. Look what it says. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses is permitted to be hidden in the rock. But really, it is God who is hidden from Moses, isn't it? Not even Moses could see the divine essence and live. You know, if this event teaches us nothing else, friend, it's that God's essence in all of its glory, perfection, and brilliance is incomprehensible. It's beyond the reach of mere mortals like Moses, like you, and like me. Here's the deal. God is infinite. His power and perfection know no limit. He is the creator whereas we are the creature. 
the Lord makes this clear in a passage that I love so much in Isaiah 55. He says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the heavens, what a picture, right? You just picture how the heavens, not even like how the the spatial distance. And God says, you see how that massive that is? That's the difference between us. I'm the creator, you're the creature. If anyone said that to you, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? That would be the most arrogant thing in the world to say if that came from like a coworker to you or, or, or a family member or a friend. But it's God talking, right? He is the creator, we are the creatures. He is infinite, we are finite. So we can never plumb the depths of who God is. God is incomprehensible. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know him truly. So here's the sentence that I actually want to unpack. Our, our sermon will be in two points. Point number one, we cannot understand God fully. Point number two, but we can know him truly. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know him truly. Those are the two, we're going to, that's a sentence and we're going to make that our two points. So this first bit, we cannot understand God fully. Let's look at some passages that teach this. In Psalm 145, it says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is, notice the word, unsearchable. It, it means you can't fully examine. You see that word? You cannot fully examine it. it. Basically, God's being or magnitude is beyond our capability to search out and discover. It is too great to be fully known. You know, it might surprise you. The book of Job teaches this truth quite a bit. Most of us are familiar with, when we think of Job, we think of the first three chapters or so where he cops it on the chin. And then we think of the very end where he gets blessed, right? But in between, Job's a massive book. In between, you've got some great descriptions of God's attributes. In fact, um, one of Job's buddies uses this spatial or dimensional language to say how God is incomprehensible. Look what his mate Zophar says in Job 11. He says, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. He admits that nobody has ever known or will come to know the depths of God's essence, the scope of his might, and the height of his glory. God is so infinite, so supreme, so glorious, that he's simply beyond our human comprehension. That's why another one of Job's friends asked who can even begin to grasp the thunder of God's voice? Job 37.5, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. You know, legend has it that the famous Augustine 
was walking down a beach one day. And as he strolled down the coast with the sand beneath his feet, he noticed a little boy running back and forth from the ocean to the sand, back and forth with a little shell in his hand. And he was grabbing water inside of the shell, dumping it on the sand, running back to the ocean, back and forth. And Augustine walked up and asked what he was doing. And the little boy said that he was emptying out the sea with his little shell, right? And Augustine smiled and, you know, hate to break it to you, kid, but it's impossible. You're never going to be able to do that with that little shell. And as Augustine kept walking down the beach, it suddenly dawned on him. That boy was trying to do the impossible. How much less could he, Augustine, fit God's infinity into his own finite shell of a brain, as it were? Remember, we are finite or limited. God is infinite. And because of that, we cannot understand him to the ninth degree. We can certainly know some true things about God, right? The scriptures tell us God is light. God is holy. God is a spirit. We know those things, and those are true about God, but we can't know them. <clears throat> we can't know them at the level that God does. If, if, for in order for us to be able to do that, to know it at the level that God does, in other words, let's just take God's... Um, God is love, right? It, in order to know that at the depth that God knows that about himself, in order to know, to, to comprehend him in all of his glory about his love, we would have to be God. And if that were true, then God would no longer be divine, would he? We would be just as divine as he would be. That's why Augustine said this. He penned these words. We are speaking of God. Is it any wonder if you do not comprehend? For if you comprehend, it is not God you comprehend. Let it be a pious confession of ignorance rather than a rash profession of knowledge. To attain some slight knowledge of God is a great blessing. To comprehend him, however, is totally impossible. Do you find yourself wanting to disagree with Augustine there? Be honest. Does that offend you a little bit? Does this idea of God being incomprehensible make you feel a bit discouraged or frustrated, like basically God is a subject that you'll never master? If that's you, and you sort of struggle, perhaps a better approach is to acknowledge the fact that God is God, he is so infinite, he's so supreme, he's so glorious and perfect in himself that we can't wrap our human minds around him. And think about it this way. We will never be able to know too much about God. We will never run out of things to learn about him and never tire in delighting and discovering more and more of who God is, even in heaven, when we are freed from the presence of sin, we will never be able to fully comprehend God. I mean, just think about this. Most people, all of us, 
in, in any country, and anyone living in 2020, we're not that complex. Sure, we might change and things like that, but I bet you I could spend a half a day with anyone in this church and figure you out pretty quickly, for the most part. And give me a year, give me two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, give me 100 years, we'd all, we'd know each other pretty well. Sure, there might be little, some variations and things that go, oh, wow. But for the most part, we'd get the whole package of you. In eternity, imagine 200 years into eternity. So that's like two of Marge Furge's lifetimes, right? I mean that as an encouragement, Marge. Imagine, like, we can't even, most of us are only... 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Marge is the exception. But most of us, all of us, in fact, everybody listening to this has lived less than 100 years. So imagine, take 100 years, times it by two, keep going up, let's say 300, 400 years. 400 years where you don't need to, in your glorified state, you don't need to eat, you don't need to sleep. Like whenever you study a subject, if you went to university or even back in high school, you, 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 let's say you wanted to pass a test and you're trying to know as much information about that subject as you can, but you still have to eat, you still have to sleep, you still get tired, you still get distracted, you're still, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of those things will exist in heaven. We'll be able to think on God, study God without all the distractions of this world, without having to work or, or sleep or eat or do any of those things. And 400 years later, wake up, as it were, and say, wow, Dan. I, I, I just said Dan, by the way. Dan, I just learned something about God today. Yeah, so did I. Da, da, da. Like that, that is a real shocker, if you think about that. That God is that infinite. That a thousand years, two thousand years... I mean, just think, just think how long, I can't even wrap my, my hands around living for, say, 5,000 years. And 5,000 years, I will still be absolutely stunned and blown away at God's majesty, his holiness, all of these things, and more. That's who God is. That's why he is incomprehensible, you see. That's why David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more numerous than the sand. We cannot understand God fully, but we can know him truly, which is our second point. Because on the extreme end of that, you might say, well, geez, then what? how do we know anything about God? Right? I mean... How do we know him truly? Is it just up to the individual and whatever method he or she decides to use then to try to know God? Maybe we can know God truly through our meditation. Or perhaps we can come to know him by some unusual experience or even a dream. Or maybe it's just brass tacks, reason and logic. What is the right method to know God rightly? I want to suggest one, but before we do, let me give you just briefly two bad approaches, two pitfalls, two dangers to avoid. The first 
is spiritual mysticism. And the second is human rationalism. So just briefly, track with me here. If we're to know God and we're to think about God, as this is what some people do. Spiritual mysticism says this. It says that the reality of God is unknown or beyond all imagining. We are always grasping, but never finding. God is robbed of any definition and clarity whatsoever. And so you're left to have your journey, as it were, to, to, to discover God, a, a life filled with different spiritual subjective experiences where you get sort of bits and pieces of God. A and so you're left, as it were, to have these subjective spiritual experiences, but you're always wondering how much you're able to really grasp because you're never able to grasp it. It's all just mystery. It's all darkness, right? God is hidden in secrecy, ambiguity, and you only experience bits and pieces through subjective experiences. That might be you go to a prayer group and, and you feel flushed. And you say, well, I feel like this is, this is one of those experiences. Or you might walk a labyrinth. And you feel like this is one of those experiences. Or maybe the best way in your mind you can connect with God, it has to be them doing bushwalks. Those are subjective experiences. Now again, God has, according to Romans 1, revealed himself in nature. But if you read carefully in Romans 1, we have to interpret nature rightly through scripture. Right? Think of all of the false religions that have been studied of animism and panentheism and all of these bad religions out there that have made nature, they haven't had our own sinful thinking, is it actually contaminates the creation as it were, right? We, we elevate the creation instead of the creator. So that's why we need scripture to balance and to actually undermine our mysticism. So pitfall number one is mysticism. It's honestly, friends, Steer clear of that like a cancer. It is just new age junk, if I can put that nicely. Now, on the other spectrum of that, though, is this. I think because the other spectrum we could say, well, that's just all the stuff you're talking about, the mysticism stuff, that's weird. We can swing the pendulum the other way and just be like human rationalists, right? That it's, it's just up to our own sort of uh, our own intuition, our own wit, I read this week a, uh, a book, it's called None Greater, got by a guy named Matthew Barrett. And there's a long section that I wanna read to you. And I'm, I guess I'm apprehensive to read it because I feel like connecting via live stream, it's sort of lose, it's a, it's a long quote, but it sort of loses the capability to track along. I just thought it would be helpful to read it because what Matthew Barrett does is he, he basically gives you this sweep of this idea of human rationalism historically and the problem with it. It's just wonderful. As I read it, see if you can picture in your mind the, the how he talks about the Enlightenment era and how that was a basically a failed experiment. Because the Enlightenment era basically said, we don't need the Bible. We have our own brains. Therefore, we can know who God is. We can, and what they did was really domesticate God. So Matthew Barrett, see if you can track along. Matthew Barrett says this. He says, living two decades 
into the 21st century. So try to, try to imagine this, what he's saying here. Try to picture it in your head. Living two decades into the 21st century has its advantages. It gives us a bird's eye point of view, soaring over centuries past, using the eyes of an eagle to see missteps of past generations. During the Enlightenment era, for example, many thinkers, Christians included, had an extremely optimistic view of humanity. By reason alone, humans could scale the greatest heights the arts and sciences had to offer. Religion was not exempt either. While different approaches were taken, some believed they could determine who God is simply by means of using their reasoning powers alone. The Bible could be set aside for good. Reason was enough. As time passed, it became evident that the Enlightenment experiment failed. War, for example, exposed the fact that humanity is not morally neutral, but corrupt. The ill use of reason demonstrated that humanity was desperately in need of special revelation after all. Autonomous reason was not so autonomous as it turned out. In fact, it was idolatrous, attempting to remove God from his throne and replace the creator's authority with the creature's intellect instead. The follies of the Enlightenment should forever remind us that attempting to scale the ladder of heaven to pull God down is the height of of human hubris. It is the Tower of Babel all over again. Massive long quote there, I understand that, but wow, what a great sort of uh, big picture he gives of this idea of the Enlightenment and how it was a failed experiment, right? I, I like how he says, um, you know, autonomous reason was not so autonomous as it turned out. You see what he's saying? History has shown that we cannot rely on our wit or intuition to know God truly. We are too sinful. We need, as he says, special revelation. And what is that? That's not, that doesn't mean then, that doesn't, the special revelation is the scriptures. That's not individual words of knowledge, words of wisdom. No, no, no. It's God's words. We need to look to God's revelation of himself for our understanding of who God is. Here's the truth. Only the Spirit of God can search the deep things of God, and God has revealed them to us in the words inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10. In other words, if we are to describe God correctly, then we need to use the correct method, and that is God's Word. Here's a quote for you. It says, Hillary of, it says this, Since then, we are to discourse of the things of God. Let us assume that God has full knowledge of himself and bow with humble reverence to his words. For he whom we can only know through his own utterances is the fitting witness concerning himself. Bit of a mouthful, I understand. But you get the point? If we discover who God is, and God knows who he is, we are then to go to God's word as he's shown us who he is. And that's my prayer for you, friend, is that we wouldn't look to different subjective experiences. We wouldn't look to our own intuition and wit. 
where we looked and submit humbly to what God's word says. I really pray that we would continue to do this as a church and say, what, who, what is the descriptions? What are the things that we know about God from his word? What are the ways we as a church should be faithful to him? What are some things the, the Lord has clearly laid out some parameters for us to do, to believe, to act, to behave as a church? Really excited when we are able to gather again to really be sort of thinking more clearly about that as a church. And, and really, I hope to be laying out for you guys and gals, really from the scriptures, what the Lord has made very clear in his word, who we are to be as a church. I can't wait to gather again, but as we gather, I want to make sure we're doing it for the right reasons, not because this is a social club where we can come and just be friends and give each other hugs, or socially distance, I guess, hug from a distance, but that we can come and submit under God's word as believers and have accountability with each other and be so committed to God and so committed to his word. So I'm excited for that. Um, until that time comes, let's continue to study God's word and to really be humble in our approach as we as we're really undone and overwhelmed by the character of God. Um, happy to continue to carry on these conversations with you. And um, I figured I'd just close us in prayer and then Sky's going to come up here. And uh, gosh, you know, I ju it just feels, I've on we've only hit the surface. I guess we'll have to do another one of these series another time. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, we, again, we, we confess that in our own sin, we have tried to domesticate you. Uh, we have, um, we've been comfortable with ideas of you that, Lord, at the end of the day, probably aren't true. Help us to come humbly and submit ourselves to the truth of your word. Uh, forgive us. We pray as a church that we would be faithful, Lord, that where your word is clear, we would submit to that. We wouldn't look for other experiences or other things that are only going to distract us from your character and only going to give us a, a bizarre picture of, of, of who you are. Help us to go to the source, to, which is your word, and to submit to that. Lord, we pray this week as, as we interact and as we um, and engage perhaps even with, with more people as some of these restrictions are, are slowly being lifted, Pray that we be salt and light. Remind us of eternity. Remind us of who you are. Give us this, uh, again, this, this undomesticated picture of, of who you are that that would actually drive us to want to share the truth of who you are with others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.